Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. Hello again. Today I want to speak about Christianity as a supernatural, metaphysical faith relationship. Now, now I know that's quite a mouthful, but things will become clear as we continue. Now, in today's world, I think most people associate the word supernatural with things like ghosts, seances, and maybe even Harry Potter. So, to say that Christianity is a supernatural relationship, I think probably sounds confusing and maybe heretical to some people. But the point is, it is. Christianity is a supernatural relationship, both faced. The meaning of the word supernatural, you see, is relating to an order of existence beyond the visible, observable universe. Well, the Bible is full of accounts of just such things, of supernatural events. Jesus ministered supernaturally. The rebirth of the Spirit, the very start of our Christian journey, is a profoundly supernatural phenomenon. The other word, metaphysical, is more or less a synonym of supernatural. It's defined as relating to the transcendent or to a reality beyond what is perceptible to the senses. Yet again, usually connected in Christian circles with things like cult systems or the word of faith extremes. You, you read articles about the metaphysical cult systems. Yet Christianity is metaphysical in terms of the definition. You see, we cannot see God who is spirit, yet we have a relationship with the triune Godhead through Jesus Christ. And we cannot test or measure the manifestations of things like healing and miracles, yet we experience them, and we gladly accept them, or do we? You see, some Christian folk reject outright anything, and that spiritual gifts included, that appear to be supernatural. So words of knowledge, for, them, for instance, for them are simply intellectually informed teachings. Words of wisdom are seen as wise utterances and nothing more. Prophecy is preaching, and so on and so forth. Now such people are commonly termed cessationists, in theological circles at least, for they believe that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, ceased, therefore cessationists. Now, I've read about as much as I choose about the various justifications for holding such a belief. But I have to tell you, I find them all horribly wanting. Now, although theologians of this particular persuasion usually claim that their theology is based on a sound exposition of Scripture, nothing could be further from the truth. You see, the New Testament is replete with references to the supernatural. And to claim that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 8 to 10 is a justification for cessationism, in my opinion, is just foolish and irresponsible. You know the passage? It talks about when the perfect comes, all these temporary things will cease, tongues will cease, prophecy will cease, and so on. And they claim that the perfect has come in the form of the scriptures. 
But that doesn't even make sense, and it certainly is not supported by any other scriptural evidence whatsoever. In fact, the context of it is clear to me, clear as day. When the perfect comes, we will see face to face. We'll be standing before Jesus. We will be in heaven. And then there is no need for tongues, and there is no need for the Bible even. For we'll be standing before the very author of the Bible, standing embraced and enveloped in the very power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in actual fact, the real argument for the ceasing of the gifts of the Spirit is not based on biblical interpretation. It's based on a selective reading of history. You see, they make the claim, they say, well, look, you see, once the Bible was written, there were no more need for these supernatural things to actually authenticate the works of God. Because the Bible now does that. And then look, they say, you see throughout history how the periods of, of great miracles got fewer and fewer and fewer until today we see none. So therefore, you see, it's all gone. But that's a massively selective reading. Miracles are, are happening today. I am a product, personal product, of a great healing ministry of God in my life. Now, if we look with open eyes at our world around us, we might not see too many miracles in our local church, in our Western culture, for instance. But look a bit further. Look and see what is actually happening in countries like Iran right now. The most outstanding, miraculous things happening as people are brought supernaturally into a relationship with Jesus Christ. No, the miracles haven't ceased. By the way, in every period of revival, the supernatural breaks out again in some form or other. When we talk about the great revivals of modern history, we can't then say that God was not working through that by His gifts and by His Spirit. Okay, so in my opinion, all of that is not biblically supportable. And on the other side of the spectrum are, are the folk who claim that they operate in the supernatural, that they are disciples of Jesus, but they evidence magical manipulation rather than spiritual ministry. I say that again. Magical manipulation rather than genuine spiritual ministry. And I'm referring here to such things as crowd mesmerizing, leg stretching, mantra shouting, gold dust materializing, angel feather falling, religious sleight of hand. And I regard this as a perversion and not a spiritual reality. I regard it as minecraft and not as supernatural ministry. So again, in my humble opinion, neither cessationism nor what I would term charismania of valid expressions of biblical Christianity. Okay, so if these two positions represent the two points, the left point, say, and the right point on a long horizontal line, then the middle point, if we pull it up to form a triangle, is represented by what I've called intellectual, knowledge-based, pseudo-Christianity. You see, in terms of this system, it's all about the mind. In fact, the, the, the theologians that work in terms of this paradigm and don't really see a difference between mind and spirit at all. So, rebirth for them is just a euphemism for a commitment of the will. And spirituality consists for them in purely in Bible study and prayer. And the church is an organization akin to a school where we just learn stuff from the Bible. 
and evangelism is a call to embrace a way of living and a doctrinal statement. Now, I think this too is a parody of New Testament Christianity. Cessationism, charismania, and intellectual pseudo-belief form a baleful triumvirate in our current Christian scene. Look at Jesus. Jesus modeled a supernatural faith relationship with his Father, with the Holy Spirit, and with his disciples. Just read through the Gospels and observe how he ministered supernaturally. And look to see how he positioned faith, not as a force to be manipulated magically, but as the catalyst of a metaphysical, a beyond-the-physical relationship with God and with each other. And take note of his profound lecture to the intellectually religious leader of the, the Jewish folk, Nicodemus, the theologian of all Israel. Read on through the book of Acts and note how the early church actually functioned, supernaturally. And then read how Paul explained the works of the Holy Spirit in and through the church, which is the body of Christ. Ah, surely, Christianity is essentially a supernatural, metaphysical faith relationship with the triune God in and through Jesus Christ and with others in and through the body of Christ, the church. Right, so I've asked my daughter Corin to join us again to ask the kind of questions that she feels many of the listeners might have. The idea here is to try and make it quite spontaneous. So although she sends me a, a basic list of these questions beforehand, just so I can have a squiz of them, I don't actually pre-prepare my answers. So she asks the question now, and then I kind of try and respond as spontaneously as I can. Also, she can sometimes be quite sneaky and put things in that weren't on the list. So again, the idea is to be spontaneous. Hi, Corin. Hi, Daddy. Yeah, in the past, when I've been reading through your, your posts, I've, I've asked you directly, um, and you've answered me when I've been confused. So I hope this is helpful to other people to hear your answers instead of me just getting the benefit of them. Um, with this particular post, with the big name of Supernatural Metaphysical Faith Relationship, <laughs> um, the first thing that really jumped out at me was um, you describing these cult systems or word of faith extremes um, with regard to metaphysical and, and coming up when people start talking about metaphysical things. Who are these word of faith extremes and cult circles? They sound scary. Okay, so when the word of faith movement started many, many years ago, their focus was on faith. And faith is a hugely important biblical concept and something that needs to be given full weight and value in our Christianity. But as time progressed, um, some folk went to extremes. And we would now call those hyperfaith folk. Okay. And the extremes talk about metaphysical things such as the power of words themselves, as if words have a magical ability to change things. And that's, that is more of an occult metaphysical concept rather than a biblical concept. And then they started to talk about faith as being a force that can be manipulated. And that's not a biblical concept either. So when folk refer to the metaphysical word of faith, they're talking about the hyper-faith that have those elements to it. Okay, um, I'm thinking, would the secret fall into that? Well, the secret isn't, yeah, I suppose it would. It's not even really word of faith. It is really far more new age, uh, super pseudo-spirituality, really, mind sciences and so on and so forth. But yeah, generally it would fall into that bracket. Okay, sort of we are all our own God type of, of a deal. 
A little bit. Okay. <laughs> you know, if, if I want to sort of go, wow, I'm in a cult, what, what, am, I, what am I listening out for? Well, you know, again, that's, that's a huge topic. And I, I really, I can't address that. Other than the safeguard for all sectarian um, perversions or cult systems or whatever it is, are a few basic yardsticks. Question one would always be, where does Jesus feature in it? Okay. Is Jesus center, squarely in the center of the belief system? Do, is he the interpreter of scripture? Does theology get built out from him, out into the world? Secondly, where does the Bible feature? Is it accepted as the authoritative, inspired word of God? Or is it used fast and loose to try and prove different theories by selecting individual texts? Mm. And the third thing is, is it dependent on personalities or does it depend on the Holy Spirit? Okay. Because cult systems invariably are built around a charismatic figure, man or woman, who brings everything under his or her control. So those would be the three basic pointers. Okay, great. The next thing I noticed was that you talk about cessationists. Yes, it's quite, <laughs> it's quite a tongue twister. Now, um, you said they're people that basically don't believe in miracles. The only word I've sort of come into context with that, that sounds similar was the fundamentalists, which was taking everything as, as given in the Bible. In other words, there was an apple, there was Adam and, and Eve in that situation with a snake. Um, are, are they the same thing or am I missing something? Yeah, no, it's not the same thing. In fact, here's the problem. We are, we, we're so fond of putting people into boxes and creating labels. But they're almost unavoidable because once the label is established, like the word cessationist, it, it has a baggage and a context and, and you really you can't redefine it all the time. Mm. But essentially, cessationists come out of reformed backgrounds often, often out of Calvinist backgrounds, but not necessarily. But all they're saying is they're saying they don't believe that the miraculous gifts of the Spirit are operational today. Okay. So they're saying that prophecy is really just another word for preaching. Healings occur, but they occur through natural occurrences and mm. medical science. Although many of folk who would call themselves cessationists believe that God can and does intervene miraculous when he chooses to, but that they're not common and that they're not a part of what we can expect in our age. If, if God chooses to intervene, and work a great miracle, then even the cessationists, because they are Bible-believing people, they would say, hallelujah, wonderful, you know, God has intervened. Yeah. But they in the same breath say, but we can't expect these things to be part of what he wants for us necessarily today. So speaking in tongues, for instance, an entirely supernatural thing, they would say, no, that's not of God, because if it was, a, it, it stopped. So how can it be of God? It therefore must be of the imagination or of the devil. So it's created a bit of divide in the Christian church mm. between those who believe that these things are not happening and therefore if they do, they can't be godly. And those folk who are saying that what the Bible speaks about them and there's no indication at all that they aren't still for today and therefore they are godly. So there's where the divide lines are drawn then. Both the sensationists and the fundamentalists take the Bible literally, but the cessationists believe that it stopped after Christ. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you sat with one of those folk, they would argue uh, quite clearly, yes, of course those things happened in the Scripture. Okay. It says that they happened in the book of Acts. We can see it happening. But when the Bible was completed, they call that when that which is perfect has come, mm. then these things fade and have fallen away. 
Okay. But there's no biblical or logical grounds to believe that, that Paul had in his mind the fact that the Bible was going to represent that which is perfect. Yes, yeah. It's far more obvious that he was referring to when we see Jesus face to face in perfection. Without getting too bogged down in the theological side, if, if someone said to me, so I'm a fundamentalist, what do I, what do I get to glean from that? Okay, another unfortunate label. Mm. Again, a little bit of history. So what happened was liberalism took hold on the church. And liberalism is really a de-supernaturalization of everything in the scripture. So a, a typical liberal would say, yeah, I mean, the, the Bible talks about these things and the Bible is a useful book and, you know, it's wonderful and all that. But it shouldn't be taken literally and it shouldn't be taken too seriously. And certainly uh, these supernatural things are just myths and fables. And so a group of Bible-believing folk uh, got really exercised about that, and they set about trying to defend the integrity of the Scripture and oh, of the Christian okay. faith. So they were called fundamentalists because they said, let's get back to the fundamentals. And so it really was a movement which, which started to, to counteract the incursions of liberalism into the church. But then it, again, like all these jolly things, went too far, and built into it then were some things which they would then say, you have to believe that the Bible uh, must, every word in must be taken as literally exactly what it is saying. Yes. So if it's talking about in the book of Revelation and the a great red dragon appeared in the heavens, well then Satan is a great red dragon. I'm using a silly example. Yeah. And if in the book of Revelations it says that Jesus has a sword coming from his mouth, then, well, he doesn't have a tongue anymore, he has a sword coming mm, from his mouth. Scary image. Yeah, and again, look, uh, I can't get into this debate because a lot of them would take issue with what I'm saying now. So I'm, I'm painting a very extreme picture again yes, yeah. for, for sake of making the point. But these things sort of came in. So fundamentalism today has all the connotations of almost religious bigotry, uh, slavish literalism to the scriptures okay. and things of that nature, which it never really was intended in its first instances. It was a defense of of the authority and the inspiration of the scriptures. Yeah, so, the, so they actually do believe in, in miraculous um, occurrences and supernatural faith and that sort of thing. Some yes and some not. See, yeah. Again, some would say it says it in the scripture, it must be taken as literally true, but it's stopped now. Huh. So you can be both a fundamentalist and a cessationist. <laughs> okay. And that's why these labels are, are, are nasty. I don't like them. But yeah. they're unavoidable, unfortunately. Yeah, pe people like to have things neatly in boxes. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, you talk about the cessationists and, and, and what they believe in. Um, I was just wondering how their faith looks today. You know, if, for example, I would pray for, for healing, um, but you're saying this is a, a very rare, miracles are a rare thing for a cessationist. So, so how, does, how does their faith actually look to them? Do they not pray for, for any interventions? No, a cessationist's faith would look very much the same as yours and mine. Uh, um, I believe fervently that whatever the scripture has told us about the way that God, that God the Holy Spirit operates in the world in the New Testament times, he's still doing that. But a cessationist would take issue with me, but he's still, um, you know, I have to assume that they are all good men and women of God. They are believers. They pray as mm. much, if not more, than anybody else. 
they don't they don't hold back from praying for things and asking for things and they rejoice when God supernaturally intervenes they're not anti supernatural they're just saying God doesn't do things normally that way anymore okay and they would pray for a sick person and they would assume as we do that uh, medical doctors might play a part in that person's healing but we all make that same assumption and we believe that yes. uh, and that if God intervenes and that person literally rises out of the wheelchair so to speak then they would be uh, as happy as anybody else about that mm. so their faith doesn't look a lot different at a practical level yeah you, you, you end up by saying you know look at look at what Jesus did read through the book of Acts and how the church functioned etc um, for those for those who don't want to read through the book of Acts right now, what are your finally what are your key points in in, in that? What are you what are you wanting us to look out for? <laughs> well, <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> no, yeah, that's one of the sneaky questions. But the um, no, you know, frankly, my first response is, for goodness sake, please read the Gospels and yeah. the book of Acts. There's no shortcut to that, and they don't take that long to read. So just read them would okay. be my, my urgent plea. But the real issue here is that Jesus operated in these gifts of the Spirit freely. In his life you can see as you read through the Gospels, you can see words of knowledge, words of wisdom, deliverance, supernatural, miraculous healings. Healings where uh, he walked on water, where he raised the dead, where he ch ch turned little f loaves into uh, mm. feeding a huge number of people being fed and so on and so forth. Mm. So you see it actually there. Then in the book of Acts you see Peter when he walks in close proximity to a, to a group of people lying on the ground, they're sick. It says as his shadow fell upon them, uh, i.e. he was really close to them, the, the very power of the Holy Spirit within them healed them instantly. Yes. So as you read through the book of Acts you see these things happening over and over and again by Philip, by Stephen, those were deacons mind you, by the apostles and so on. So really you then have to argue, well if I can clearly see them in the scripture, I then have to say if I don't believe they occur today and I believe in the scripture, I have to find a scriptural reason why I shouldn't believe that they continue. Mm. So I'd have to find evidence in the scripture which says, hey guys, these things were, are only designed to be here for a short while, later believers aren't going to experience them. And the Bible not only does not say that, it actually teaches the opposite. Yes. In, in Paul's letters to the Corinthians and so on. Okay. And then to take one little verse, and uh, you know, when the perfect is here, these things will, will pass away, is as I said in my talk, um, it borders on absolute foolishness. Mm. Because there's really no grounds for being able to say that with authority from the scripture. Mm. So then you have to start building a case out of an observation of history what you think has happened in history, a selective reading of history, mm. then you can't, in my opinion, claim to be basing what you say on the scripture if you're actually basing it on your history. own reading of history. Yes. In other words, um, you know, as easily as the disciples and Christ himself performed these miraculous things, we must anticipate them happening in our lives. I believe so. And also, you know, there's a lot of talk in our day about revivals. Mm. Uh, revivals have happened over church history many, many times. The Welsh Revival, the Hebrides Revival, the Korean Revival. A few in South Africa, by the way, in Wolseley and places like that, yeah. in Quasi-Sabantu and so on. Now, when these 
outpourings of the Spirit of God, when, when God's presence is tangible and manifest in a place for a, a protracted period of time, we call that a revival, invariably the miraculous occurs. Yes. It's not always through healing, and it's not always through speaking in tongues or seeing miracles, but the supernatural breaks into our norm. Mm. And we start to see in times of revival, gosh, maybe we should be expecting more. So maybe every day we should, should have, be a time of revival then? Well, not necessarily, but we should have an expectation. Okay. I personally, by the way, I'm not at all convinced that uh, the average Christian can survive too long in a time of revival. <laughs> you know, the, the New Testament, Jesus was only ministering for three and a half years. Yes. And those disciples didn't last that long. No. Either. <laughs> no, <they didn't. laughs> so you know, uh, there's a fierce burnout. I think that takes place. So, but I, but it should be our expectation. We should be asking. We should be expecting. We should be looking to see. Oh, is God doing something? Let's come into line with that. Mm. Instead of being close to it and saying, "Now these things don't happen." Yes. Therefore, let's not expect. And even worse, if they do happen, it must be the devil. It is a much more hopeful way of looking at life as well. I think. Of course, and, mm. and the gospel is a gospel of hope. Yes. Thanks, Dad. That's, that clears things up for me. Okay, until next time. Okay. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pebbler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth 